Hello and welcome to another episode of Never Seen It. I'm your host, my name is Betsy, and with me as always is Trent. Hey everybody! Today we are continuing in our penultimate episode of Best Picture Nominees for this year's Oscar series. That means it's second to last. That's the second to last because these last two are the hardest to find in our area, but at long last we've figured out a way because they're making them a little more accessible. Today, we are watching American Fiction. So Trent, neither of us has seen this movie. What do you know about American Fiction? So this one's gonna be a little bit out of our wheelhouse because hey, this is about black people. And we are not them. (laughs) This is a movie that is quintessentially about the African-American experience in in this country. And uh, it's something that we cannot relate to, especially because this is a satire. Yeah. My understanding is that it is uh, Jeffrey Wright is the main character here. There are going to be some people that we recognize. I don't know a whole lot of names. I know Issa Rae is in it. Issa Rae is in it. Sterling K. Brown. Okay. Off the top of my head, those are the two I remember. Sterling K. Brown got nominated, did he He not? He did, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Jeffrey Wright is an author, an established author, who is, you know, he's just like a normal guy. And An intellectual, he, if you will. Right. He's he's a smart dude who writes smart books, and he is disgusted by the fact that there's another author out there that put out some work that is like, it's very stereotypical black, and he doesn't like that. So to kind of prove his point that that kind of stuff, that kind of art is not worthy of attention, he writes a fake book in the style like that. It's, you know, for lack of a better word, it's thuggish. He's making fun of the stereotypes that white people have about black people. And in turn, Mm -hmm. it makes him very successful. Yeah, and he writes it under an assumed name, a pen name, whatever you want to call it. And he goes around like disguising his identity because this book just blows up. And I guess that's where we go from here. So I don't really know much else about it. I, I assume that it is going to be pretty comedic in, in nature, but it, is, it, it deals with some serious subject matter. Yeah, I think it's more comedy. It's definitely a satire. Yeah. But like in the trailer, they're out on the water sprinkling someone's ashes. So like maybe a parent or somebody just died. Okay, I don't remember yeah, that at all. It's in the trailer, so there's definitely some dark stuff happening in these people's lives when we are introduced or at some point in the movie. Yeah, but I think really the, the majority of the movie is him talking about, I wrote this book, I am going around and doing this press tour, but he has to hide his identity because people, fake people know who he actually is. Yeah, so... We'll see where this one falls for us because I have been hearing an absolutely mixed response and I think there is one definable reason why and it has something to do with the fact that you and I are white people. We're very white people. (laughs) So we'll see how we feel about this one, but I think that's going to about do it for what we know. So let's just do it. We're going to go and see American Fiction and we will be right back. And we're back. That was American Fiction. Trent, how are you feeling after this movie? I kind of don't know what to say at this point because, wow. Good wow? Yeah. Like, (laughs) Betsy, I'm having the same kind of feelings I did when we watched Adaptation about a year, two years ago. Whenever that was. Yeah. Those are the same feelings I'm having right now after that kind of weird ending. It's kind of meta. You're not really sure what's real. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> I also enjoyed this movie. Uh, I'm going to henceforth be calling it secondhand embarrassment because uh, on behalf of white people everywhere, <laughs> you know, sometimes we're really white. <laughs> 
Yeah. And the people in this movie, I know it's played up for effect, but it's the fact that these people are real. They exist. It's all, it's all couched in real, real behaviors. Yeah. And the thing about this movie is you assume on the surface that this is about a black man. This is about the African-American experience. And it is but moreover, this is about a pretentious intellectual who doesn't yes. understand that sometimes people like garbage. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm coming from here. It's like last week when there was an interview that came out where Christopher Nolan, the guy who makes yeah. the brainiest movies, came out and said he loves The Fast and the Furious. Why? Because he is allowed to also like garbage. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. It is objectively garbage. And you can still love garbage. It's fine. It's why junk food is so successful because it tingles your senses in that way. <laughs> you it, know, it scratches an itch that you must have satisfied. Yeah. yeah. I like that this is more about that because they set up very early in the movie yeah. that this dude is like an uptight, middle aged intellectual. He just happens to be black. That's exactly. Kind of, that's kind of part of it where he's trying to teach other people like if i can write the n-word on the board i can be okay with it right. you the white college kid should definitely be okay with it it's not like we're saying it out loud it's just present in the room and when she doesn't like his answer he basically screams at a student and kicks her out yeah because <laughs> he's such a pretentious asshole that he can't help himself betsy i think this movie kind of says a lot about writers in general and how much they're kind of assholes sometimes present company included oh yeah the whole scene after that where it's I'm the, talking about myself not betsy. <laughs> where it's the other teachers the other people who are yep. also authors yep like the guy eyebrows, you yep, know, the Mr. guy, eyebrows. Mr. Eyebrows, he has like three novels that he has published. Mm -hmm. The stinging remark that he makes is I'll buy it at the airport. Right. But you know what? He has published three books and people are buying it. Yeah. Who the fuck cares if it's not like the great American novel? He wrote three books while you, as I'm gleaning, I think he is writing modern adaptations of Greek mythology. That was what I was drawing from the words I was hearing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he was saying things like, uh, not Prometheus, but something like I that. And like the frogs, I know the frogs. So that's what he has decided to focus his energies on. Because he can. He because is he can. that smart. And he grew up in a upper middle class household with a family of doctors yeah. and he has the luxury of being educated and writing pretentious modern adaptations and you know what it's that metaphor that his his agent says like you know what they all are the same thing this johnny walker is mm -hmm. just more expensive because it's the fancy pretentious version right this company is in business to make money you are writing books to make money yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So the Johnny Walker labels is a great metaphor for this. Yeah. You think Tom Clancy was out here writing, you know, I'm going to go and write the great American novel. No, him, John Patterson. There's these authors that just crank that shit out. Yeah. Why? Because it's easy and exciting and abundant. And it most sells and it sells. And most people just want an easy read their life is complicated enough as it is yeah they don't want a challenging book people aren't out here reading what's that fucking book the um i cannot think of the name of the book it's that guy who was the vietnam vet and he wrote this like thousand page book that's like the most complicated hard to read book on the planet i have no idea people who love to read are always like, that is an impossible read. But the ones who have sure. read it are like, I'm so special and important because I sat through the drivel. <laughs> well, remember, wasn't there a dude who wrote a book about his experience, quote unquote, his experience of like being a drug addict, and mm -hmm. he went on Oprah and was a part of the Oprah book club. The million, and it, whatever it is. The million easy pieces and or whatever it's called. it turns out that it was a complete fabrication it was fiction yes yeah but he, he sold it as fact 
Yeah, that was what, that's what this is. But that's what people got mad about with him was he was out there with a face. Yeah, he was selling it as if it was selling real. it as reality. In this movie, he writes it as a joke because he's so sick of the bullshit. Like when they showed Issa Rae at the beginning reading from her book, it's like, I why. This is terrible. This is drivel. And all of these white people are just standing ovation. It's such an important book. No, she's up there to sell books. She is That's there to sell books. That's what she's doing it for. Yeah. She's not doing it for the intellectual nature of things. Right. But he just cannot wrap his head around that people like simple, yeah. easy reading books. Also, fucking <laughs> writers hating other writers for being successful. Oh, yeah. It's the worst thing in the world. We just covered a movie, Anatomy of a Fall, where there's two people who are married who are writers, and one of them is very resentful of the fact that the other one is much more successful at the, the same craft. Oh, yeah. That's the, that's artists in general. Like, there is a thrill line in this movie about art being subjective, and there's some kind of uh -huh. cutting remarks about awards we and should Oscars. Not, we should not pit art against art and give out awards for art. You know, like the reason why we're covering this movie is for the Oscars. Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of subjects in this movie that they, they cover a lot of ground. Yeah. And it's really, really smart and really funny. But I also, all this to say, I can understand why people might not like this movie. Because maybe they just want an easy movie and an unchallenging movie. And what they are watching when they see this is a pretentious guy who is being pretentious yeah. and they can't see past the but I think, satire. I think by the end of the movie where there's that scene after the wedding, everybody's having a grand old time and he's just sitting back with his drink and not really enjoying himself and just kind of watching people from afar. Then his brother comes up to him and says, you know what, man, people want to love you. And far be it for me to understand why they want to, because I kind of hate you, but you're my brother anyway. But it's this attitude that, you know what, buddy, you can just let it all hang out. You can have a good time. You're allowed. But he just thinks that he needs to be, because he has the capacity to be brilliant, that he always has to try to be brilliant at all times. And that's really what is separating him from the rest of his family and from the rest of society. Yeah, it's that oldest child syndrome, I think. When, right? when your right. dad's favorite, you're the oldest. Everything yeah. is most important to you. You're... The you're golden the one, child. Yeah, you're the golden child that uh, you need to be successful. And the rest of your family, the rest of your siblings are allowed to be not so successful. Well, did you catch that line where he says something about he's not a genius, but his mom says only because you like don't let yourself be or something? She said something about that near the end of the movie where he kind of almost... He could be more, he could be a genius, mm -hmm. but he's so hung up on all the bullshit that he never lets himself just be also himself. His, also, his mother mistook him for his brother. When? At that a scene? In that scene, yeah. She calls him Cliff at the end of that scene. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's there's all these things where I'm like, wait, who is talk? what is she talking about and who yeah. is she meaning? And, yeah, there's a lot to read into that, but... But I think the, the, the movie really is, it's not necessarily just about this book and what his feelings are about the book and everything else. I think it's about this character just not being able to connect with other kinds of people and being dismissive of the fact that all these other people are loving all of this other drivel. You should, In his mind, it's drivel. You should just appreciate the fact that people are buying a book. Yeah. Like in this era that we live in where everybody's glued to a phone all day or they're watching movies all day or whatever it is, yeah. technology, technology, technology. Yeah. The fact that anyone buys a book at all, like that should be celebrated. Right. And the whole time he's like, oh, people are stupid and I don't know why they like this nonsense. Like when he's talking to his agent and the publishers want him to... Like the publishers are looking for a black book, quote unquote. It's the same kind of attitude that a Netflix would be wanting to add to a genre. Like one of those like auto-generated genres that you see sometimes via Netflix. 
that are like the most specific kind of thing. But for some reason, the, the Netflix algorithm thinks that that's really the next you know popular thing. So they're trying to hey say, hey, we need to get other kinds of these types of movies in here. But in this case, it's for books. That's everything. Like when Twilight came out, what's the next Twilight? And then we yeah. got the Hunger Games. Uh, in, you know, when we were in high school and college, every time there is a sound, like a band that gets popular, yeah. there's a whole wave of bands that sound like that band. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the pop punk music from when we were in there. I don't listen to enough modern music to know what the trend is now. Oh, but, God, I have no you know, idea. Indie singers who are saying like this. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to get into that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, whatever it is, that's just how people consume shit. If yeah. you like this, then you might like that. The masses, the high, high percentage of people who are actually buying books are buying this particular genre. So a publisher, because they want to make money, everybody wants to make money in this scene. They're just going to pump out as much as they can and like, okay, what manuscripts do we have on the pile over here that we can pull out and just publish to catch the wave? Oh, yeah. As it were. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the publisher who actually puts out his book, it's, it's really funny because there is a certain degree to which those publishers also probably are aware this book is terrible. They know that, but they also know what people like. Yeah. So they will say anything to the author to, to get, get the, rights. the rights yeah. to sell this book. And they might not agree with it. Like when he says, I'm going to change, I want to change the title. Change the I want to call it fuck. They're like, yeah, it's brilliant. It's provocative. It's and, raw. And I, I, I wish, I wish we could have the conversation that these two people have. Oh, off, like off mic, off mic <laughs> because we don't get to see that. I want to know, is it like a cold calculating business move or are they actually talking about the artistic nature of titling the book? Fuck. But that's what I'm saying. Like, these it doesn't two, matter. They hesitate yeah. for a moment. Yeah. They have to stop and go, let's just give us a minute. We need to talk this over. But they are so on the pulse of what is selling that this book is going to sell lots of copies that they will say anything to charm him. Now, I'm giving them a lot of credit because I'm assuming this of publishers. The way they're actually portrayed, I am so cringing at every word out of their mouths. Oh, it's embarrassing, but I love it. <laughs> and then later, you know, immediately after this, Adam Brody shows up. who As is, the douchiest douchebag that he, has ever been. He can make an entire fucking career out of doing this forever. Ever. And I will eat it up every time because he's so game to just look like an asshole and he doesn't care. He looks more douchey in this movie than I ever have seen him. His what is his fucking haircut? His hair. What is that? His he's, look. He's got like a mullet, like a high fashion mullet. That's what is popular now. But then he is also <laughs> like. You see, have you gone to the grocery late, store lately not, and seen the young people? Not lately enough, Oh my apparently. God. <laughs> but he's not a young people. He's older than us. Yeah. <laughs> but he Jesus. is there and he's trying to like put on an affectation of I'm a cool dude who understands black people. Right. And like he does the like one-handed hug the bro thing, hug the bro hug and it's just like guy no everything you know but there is such an intelligence to monk where he is just like aware that the dumber he sounds the crazier he acts the more money he makes and he fucking hates it because the last thing he wants to be is a sellout and you know what sometimes there's no shame in being a sellout do you want to be a successful author mm -hmm. do you want to make money fucking go for it and you have this you know this subtext about this character his mother has this early onset Alzheimer's that is progressing very quickly, and they have to put her in, the, in this assisted living center, and it's very expensive. So you introduce this idea that, hey, money is a thing. The need. He, he keeps asking money from his sister who fucking dies. His brother, who is a plastic surgeon who should have all the money in the world, but he's going through a divorce. And he's a fuck up. And he's a fuck up and himself, he is kind of a failed author. Yeah. There's so many things going on that are 
beyond the surface level right. and of you this know, movie. And you know, another thing about him talking about money, he's not like seizing the opportunity here just to like take the dumb money. Like have them write the check, have them put out the book and and just leave it there. But it just keeps on escalating and escalating. But he's not really there for it. He's showing up doing the bare minimum and it's becoming a bestseller. That it, is, is, I think, the, the weirdest thing. It debuts at number one. Right. Through no effort whatsoever. It just does. I mean, if you saw a book on the shelf called Fuck, you would stop. You would stop and <laughs> Of course look at I would book. stop in you my would, tracks. You would pick up that book and be like, what is this? <laughs> Betsy, I want to have a copy of that book for our shelf. <laughs> I don't care what's inside. We'll just, I just want a book that we says We just need the fuck. jacket. You just need the book jacket. That would be a great display if you just got fake books from movies. I want a signed just copy. Print out a whole lot of book sleeves and then whatever book you want to put inside, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and just yeah. put them on your shelf so when people come to your house, you have an absolute conversation starter. <laughs> well, this is from American Fiction. This is the book the guy writes in this movie, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The nerds will get it. The real, the real movie people will get the reference. Yeah, all the people listening to this podcast. <laughs> come to our house someday. If we don't have a copy of fuck, I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're going to forget this conversation ever happened, but don't let us. All right. Well, there's tons more. I know we still want to talk about. So you touched on it very briefly. One of the people I forgot was in this movie because I don't think she features very much in the trailer is Tracy Ellis Ross as his sister. Mm -hmm. And like you said, she fucking dies. 10 that minutes was the into the movie. Biggest goddamn surprise. I did not. So you said that there was going to be some kind of like dark nature, like they're at, they're at knew, a funeral, like I, spreading ashes somewhere. Yes. In the trailer, they show that scene where fucking Phil shows up. Fuck get, you, Philip. Get get out of here, Phil. Do you have a permit for that? <laughs> like <laughs> the that. whitest thing that you could ever say, do you have a permit for that? They're all in black clothing, having a funeral. And he is spreading ashes, and you have the audacity to say, do you have a permit? <laughs> fuck, you have fuck some you fucking Phillip. respect. <laughs> Ask him that later, or just keep it to yourself. What What's it going to do? Or be like the white guy you are and call the cops on the black guys. Right. Jesus. So that scene is in the trailer, and I was just kind of working under the assumption, maybe it's dad, maybe it's mom, a parent would make sense. And they set it up at the very beginning that mom is acting kind of funny mm -hmm. and something's going on with mom. Yep. But mom then, comes back and talks a bunch to his sister and the sister is there all the time. She sees She's always all. around it. Yeah. Yeah. When you are around, it's different than when you see people once in a while. Oh, she seems fine to me. Right. Yeah. You've been here 10 minutes. Yeah. I have an uncle who is going through a very, very similar thing and he's probably even worse than this. And I see him you know, maybe twice a year as of right now. And my, my dad, his brother talks to him like every day and he can see the progression that is, that, that is happening every single day. And it's good days and bad days. Good days and bad days. So uh, if we go over there and we we go to visit, he could be just having a great old day. Yeah. So we don't see it all the time. He might not use your name, but he knows who you are. Yeah. But he doesn't know your name. Right. He just knows who you are. Right. But anyway, they set that up. And so it would make sense that mom would deteriorate quickly. What I did not expect was they would just be out at a cafe somewhere. She and, has some kind of attack. And she has a fucking heart attack and dies very suddenly. Yeah. But I will say, I am so inspired now to write a letter in the event <laughs> in the event of my untimely death. Because when she's when in her letter, she says, if you're reading this, it's because I'm dead, which is obviously not the best situation. <laughs> But Betsy, what in your letter, who in your letter are you going to going to wish that uh, you were experiencing heavy thrusts from? <laughs> Sweaty thrusting underneath Idris Elba. I mean, and, and or Russell Crowe. <laughs> Maybe not Russell Crowe. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not now. Once upon a time, perhaps. But Maybe, Maybe early 2000s, Russell Crowe. Yeah, uh, you should all... If nothing else, look at this scene in this movie. And if you are not inspired to leave a letter for yes. your loved ones yes. that is written like this, like, what is wrong it's with fantastic. you? It's fantastic. This is perfect. I definitely want to write a crazy letter that makes everybody laugh 
at to be read at my own funeral. Also, not only should you do that, but you should update it like every five years. Well, yeah, you need it to be current. You don't know when you're yeah. going to die. You don't know what your thoughts are going to be at, you know, if you're 25, you write it now. And then you don't know what your thoughts are going to be at 30 or 35 or 40 or whatever. So, yeah, update it every five years. That's That'll right. be fine. Every five years. Or every life event. It's it's like updating your insurance at work, guys. <laughs> every single little life event, you know, like a divorce, mm -hmm. you should update your, your dead letter. Yeah, don't give your spouse who you are now divorced and doesn't you don't want them to have your money also he wasn't at the funeral you should make sure that they're not the recipient of your insurance right let's just take a step away from the podcast for a moment to update those insurance forms, PSA, everyone. <laughs> PSA for everybody out there make just, sure you have yeah. a beneficiary on all of your shit <laughs> 401ks yeah insurance all of that all that shit PSA from your friends at never seen it <laughs> But yeah, this sets into motion kind of all of the factors because she was divorced and there's not a lot of money left after the divorce. He has been working at a college, but he hasn't published a book, so he doesn't have a lot of money. Yeah, he gets a salary from the college and that's about it. Their brother was married with kids and then he had an affair and because it was this nasty divorce, yeah, she took his, all his money. It was his fault. Yes. Yeah. And they are, like I said, upper middle class people. His brother is a plastic surgeon. Mm -hmm. His sister is a doctor. They're all doctors. His dad was an OBGYN. Yeah, they're all doctors except for Monk, he has who a, is a doctor. He has a doctorate. He has That's a doctor. not quite not the same that thing. kind of doctor. <laughs> but they all are successful in their own way in professional terms, but they have no money because they fuck up their personal lives. I, I love when you can have a story like that where people assume, okay, you're a doctor, you're making all sorts of money, and you might be, but it doesn't mean that you're good with said money. No, clearly his brother has a drug problem. Yes. You know, he has just kind of gone off the deep end yeah. since his divorce. Yeah, he, he has kind of gone off the deep end, but at the same time, I can see what he's talking about there because at, at kind of at the end of the movie, he says... You know, this is the first time that I've, you know, embraced the fact that I'm a gay man and I'm making up for lost time by just fucking around with a bunch of twinks everywhere. Pretty much yeah. everywhere he goes. But he's also doing drugs and he's just living his life. Yeah. It's maybe a problem, but it hasn't become such a problem that it's ruining things for him. Sure. He's just kind of a fuck up. He's the baby, I assume. Right. I kind of, I'm yeah. looking at this dynamic. Yeah, I think so. And I'm reading... Oldest son energy, middle daughter, and I'm seeing youngest son <laughs> because that is the exact attitude these people have about how they are perceived within this dynamic yeah. and how they live their lives. But there's also so many more details about the family. Like this family is dysfunctional with a capital D. Like they keep sprinkling little things throughout. He was dad's favorite, but he knew nothing about the man. He knew yeah. absolutely nothing. Everyone else in the family knew that his dad had affairs. He had no idea. He was so oblivious to it. And not only did, you know, the siblings know, but the mother knew as well. Sure. She said, oh, yeah, he was terrible at keeping secrets from me. But, you know, if I divorced him, he would have just been too lonely. And, and we don't really know exactly the cause of this, but the father committed suicide at that beach house. Yeah. And we don't know why. Like, what was the impotence behind that? What I, led I, him there? Th they don't really get into that, but, you know, it's it's kind of in, in the ether here. And everybody's kind of concerned about Monk because Monk is kind of following the same path where he's angry all the time. And he internalizes and he doesn't let yeah, people in. Yeah, he, doesn't he pushes share. people away. He doesn't share. He doesn't tell people his secrets. Like He's got this massive, massive secret, which is, you know, where does that money come from? And why are you so upset about this book that you haven't even read? Right. And he, he doesn't blows up at anybody. And he doesn't find one person to confide in. He has not told one person outside of his publisher. Right. I wrote this book. His, his agent. Yeah, his agent, excuse me. Yeah. And he creates this entire persona for this Stag R. Lee character. Staggerly. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't know how to even pretend to be this guy. Like, he, he's even bad at being a fake version of himself. Right. Because he's so concerned with, why does anybody care? It's a joke. 
Why? What? I need to rub their noses in how stupid everybody is. Yeah, because you're a pretentious asshole. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it also reminds me of the producers because they 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 acquire yep. this fucking play, this musical about Hitler, and it's a smash hit. They, they wanted it to be unsuccessful. Yes, it's the same thing. He wrote it's the same shit. He wrote this book with the intention of no one ever publishing it. Yeah. And I loved the scene where he's writing it and fucking Keith David is there and they're all like saying, this other and guy do, with an eye patch and a gun and a do rag. It's like a play. They're like, and what do I say here? That doesn't feel like me. I right. need a different direction. Yeah. What's my motivation? What's my here? motivation here? It's like, really? You want me to say this? Okay. Then, yeah, the one guy with the eye patch has this like Shakespearean monologue. And then it's like, oh, no, I'm just going to call him the N word <laughs> and shoot him. Dead. And shoot him. <laughs> Oh god! I have I to loved, kill my I, own father. I love Keith David so much. Oh, god he's damn great. it! He's only in the one scene, and you got so excited when his name showed up in Hell the credits yeah. because he's Keith David. <laughs> Keith fucking David. <laughs> <laughs> but there's even something to be said about that. Even the fake book that he wrote is mm -hmm. about a guy's relationship with his father. Yeah, like he could at any time write a book about his own family. And it's clearly a fascinating story. There would be a lot to talk about here. Your sister died and she works at the family planning clinic. She's like, I have to go through a security check every time I go to work. So mm -hmm. that's fucked up. And your brother was married, but he's always been gay. And it's not until he got caught having an affair with a man that his wife left him and now took all his money and won't talk to him. And he gets to live his real life. You're a fuck up who's, I assume, never been married, though they keep making references to the fact that your girlfriend is not white. Right. <laughs> and we're so happy she's not white. Well, his brother says, oh, I'm, I'm just glad that it's not another white woman. Yeah, like he exclusively dates white women. So he's clearly spent time distancing himself from his family and his own blackness, I guess. I, I mean, that's the implication. Yeah, they do not explore that very much. His mom has Alzheimer's and they have this lovely woman who has worked and lived in their house for I don't know how many years. Lorraine. Lorraine. I love Lorraine but, so much. But there is so much here he could just write about. Like a real, like if the, the joke is a black book. We need yeah. a black book. This is an important American experience but and Betsy, it's relevant. But Betsy, didn't he just write that but for a movie? Let's talk about the ending here because oh, Lord. this is the weirdest jump I have seen in a movie like this. This is where it goes from being, okay, I understand what's going on, to right. it gets meta. Yeah, like this story is great. He has this thing, but then screeching tires, record scratch. What? What the fuck just happened to this movie? So, of course, it keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. And snowballing kind of out of his control where he gets asked to serve on a judging panel for a literary award that he has never won. And one day his own book that nobody knows he wrote gets shows, submitted. shows up at his doorstep as a submission for this award. And he does everything in his power to make sure this book does not win. But because all the white people on the panel love it, it wins the award. And the night of the awards show... He goes up to accept the award and it cuts to black. And we think as an audience, okay, the movie's over. But in fact, he is talking to Adam Brody, pitching ways to end this movie. And he says, well, it's too ambiguous. You can't do that. How? Okay, well, what about this? And he leaves the awards show and he goes to the woman's house right. and says, I'm sorry. And it's like a big romantic moment. But that's a that's a romantic comedy kind of an ending. We can't do that. Nobody wants, wants that. So then we get a third ending where he goes up and... As he is accepting this award, he's about to confess that he is this guy. He made it all up. It's right. all fake. The FBI comes in and they scream, he's got a gun. And Which is this glass dead. piece of glass as yeah. an award. And he's just holding it going, no, no, I'm. it's not real. I'm just, it's just a marketing stunt. And of and course, gets blasted away. the white Hollywood executive fucking loves it. Right. That's the ending of the movie. And he just gets in the car with his brother and he's like, I guess we're doing that movie. And they drive into the sunset. So I'm like, wait, so 
What, what, did, what? what part of this is real and which part of this is fake or does it not matter? I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> is that the, the lesson here is everything is foolishness and you should just enjoy shit? That's Hollywood, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that is another thing about this movie is it is also kind of a movie about Hollywood. Yes, it is. It is a how fake everything is and how really all you're trying to do here is sell tickets. And make yeah, money. Yeah. Money, baby. Not everything is going to be this high art. One of the reasons why the Academy has expanded the best picture award category from five movies to 10 movies is to include more movies that people actually see. You know, like Barbie. Barbie, like 20 years ago, if it came out, would not get nominated for Best Picture. I'm sorry. Black Panther would not get nominated for Best Picture. Mad Max Fury Road would not get nominated for Best Picture, unfortunately. No. And then you get this movie, and a part of you wonders, did they vote for it because they wanted it to be diverse, and have they actually seen it? There's, yeah. unfortunately, a very loud part of me that's There's like... There's a non-zero chance that what you're <laughs> saying is true. They have the panel in this movie where it's three white people praising the, quote, black book, and this is a black movie by a yeah. black filmmaker... And I'm just like, there's still a very large populace of the Oscar voting pool that's very, very white. This is a very real problem that this group has. Yeah. So there's this sort of meta thing that I'm concerned is going on. Like, and, they did it out yeah. of white guilt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's an it's open question. Listen, it's a brilliant fucking movie. Oh, yeah, and I love I it. And I hope that that's why, that they're smart enough to understand this is a brilliant movie. Right. But you see my point. <laughs> also, is it the white guilt kind of showing through? Like, yeah, yeah, you got us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's also an open question here, talking about those those people on the panel. Are those three white people, are they all like authors as well? Because they don't look like actors. They look like characters. Yeah. Like character types that just dress like this and act like this for real. Right. I have to look into that because... I'm really curious. There is definitely a precedent for putting real authors or real people in movies like this. Yeah. Because they are in on the joke. So... I wouldn't put it past him. I know the guy who was presenting the award who called him up and asked him to be on the panel. I know he's an actor. Yes, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Is, this Ira Glass stand-in. He is one of those like unsung deadpan oh, characters. He's so he great. has like 200 plus credits. And you have absolutely seen him in a lot of different things. And mo moreover, he is well, he's in a lot of Scorsese movies for one thing. He is, isn't yeah, he? I was trying to remember the guy he shows up in. He's in movies. The Departed. He's yep. showing him the apartment. He's also in Wolf of Wall Street saying, we got you dead to rights, buddy. Mm -hmm. This is what's called a slam dunk case. That's him. Same guy. Same yep. guy, yeah. So, yeah, I know he's an actor, but I don't know the other three people. So it w I would not put it past them to put real authors in here. So speaking of other authors, so we haven't really talked about Issa Rae's character. So she wrote a book, and they have an introduction to her character at a book festival. He is at a book festival. He mm -hmm. is in this teeny tiny room with like 12 people in it. And he says, this is really a small group, even for a book festival. What's going on? Well, they're programmed against her panel, right. which is this major bestseller. And the title of the book is Wee's Lives in the Ghetto. And let me tell you, typing that into my notes and getting it to not autocorrect was yep. not easy. And it's very, very what he is railing against. He mm -hmm. doesn't understand why this woman who has this, you know, college background and she worked for a massive publishing firm would write this drivel. And I'm so happy that they actually were allowed to develop her character. Yeah, it's not like she's just showing up for that one thing at the beginning of the As movie. As a joke, basically. As a joke, yeah. But she is also on this awards panel and she's in the same camp as Monk is when it comes to the the book Fuck. And and the other books too. Like yeah. she says, I think you can read 100 pages and you know, you get the sense you if this book it. is good or not. Right. Don't waste your time reading. If you want to do it, go for it. And he agrees with like every point yeah, she is making. And Monk is completely surprised that I I agree with her. She makes good points. 
But yeah. then you have the one scene of them having the conversation by themselves in that room. I was really hoping he would just ask her the question because it's bothering him. Yeah. But he also admits, I've never read your book. Like, that's the crux of this is he's so upset about something he hasn't yeah. read. Yeah, he's upset by the principle of the book existing without actually, you know, if we're talking about movies, how do you know you don't like that movie unless you, you've seen it? Like, going into this movie, I mean, or as long as we're talking here, going into this movie, I didn't really know what to expect because, hey, we did like a four-minute intro. We didn't really know much else other than the trailer. Sometimes but, we just shield ourselves from it or we just haven't been true. exposed to it. But I figured, hey, this isn't going to be anything I'm going to relate to. Maybe we're just gonna dismiss it out of hand but no this movie has like jumped way high on my list of of movies in this in this series so you have to take a chance on something you cannot just dismiss it out of hand because of of an attitude because when they're having their conversation she's saying well yeah it isn't my life but I did talk to real people, and real people talk like this. You can't just deny that. Yeah, I did research, and this is an experience. Just because it's not my experience right. doesn't mean I can't write about it. Because right. she even makes the argument, I'm filling a need. It's a consumerism thing. If I can deliver the product. Supply and demand. Supply and demand. What's the shame in that? And he's like, you sound like a drug dealer. That's what drug dealers say. And she so? says, so I think drugs should be legal. Yeah. She makes a whole ton of valid arguments for why she wrote this seemingly ridiculous book. But you know what? She's the one sitting there, a successful author. You're sitting there, a grumpy middle-aged man. Right. You could also have success. He could enjoy the success that he is having, but he hates every second of it. Yeah, he's offended by his success. He feels disgusted that anyone would care, and it feels so wrong and dirty, and it's the time that he actually wins awards, and he just wants to win on the merits of what he actually cares about. It's like, not everyone gives a shit, dude. Not everyone reads The Frogs. Most people don't even know what that is. I was a classics major, I don't Trent. know what that is. I've heard of The Frogs. I don't think I've actually read it, but I know what it is. But I'm a small group of people. So if you told me, oh, it's a modern retelling, you know who wrote a book like that? Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry, one of the most celebrated British satirist comedians mm -hmm. of the last, you know, 30, 40 years, he wrote modern retellings of Myths like Roman and Greek mythology. And Stephen Fry. He basically is, did this. Stephen Fry is very, very smart. Yes. But I know about that book existing. I will probably read it someday. Are you <laughs> going to read that book, Trent? Hell no. Hell no. That is not for you. <laughs> he is a brilliant, brilliant man and he can write whatever the fuck he wants. He also has a book called Paperweight. So <laughs> 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 if that means anything to you. So just, you know, write what you like. It, whether people read it or not, it's. Art, that is the whole thing. It's subjective. Somebody might want it. You yeah. know, like this little podcast. Like this little podcast. We're in the camp of we enjoyed this movie because there's a lot going on. And yeah. it's fucking funny. But I also know not everybody gets satire. Like I've yeah. talked, I've also talked to people like in my own office. Like I told people oh, when fuck. we went to poor things a couple weeks ago, they're like, oh, what'd you do? What'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went to a movie. What'd you see? Poor things. Oh, I don't know that one. What's it about? Oh, oh boy. how do I explain to my, my office mates who are more interested in like sport ball and hunting and, you know, they're good, simple Midwest people. The things that happen in South Dakota. Yeah, but I explained the loose plot of poor things to them, and they go, oh, yeah, I don't think I want to see that. I was like, no. No, of course you, not. You probably don't want to see that. That is that is an Oscar movie. Right. But then I also saw somebody in the office who was talking about seeing Barbie, and they didn't get it. You know, that's the right. thing. Every movie, all art, subjective. Mm -hmm. And I cannot get mad when people don't get it like we've watched plenty of movies for this podcast that people fucking love and i didn't get it and you know what that is what it is yeah you know <laughs> that is the nature of art in general like we will we will go to a lot of different museums that you know i'm interested in seeing pretty much anything that you want to show me as far as art but a lot of stuff i just don't like and that's okay 
I would also go to th- some things that I know Betsy wasn't would, would not like, but I really appreciate it. And at the same time, you're like I'm not dismissing the things that Betsy likes and vice versa. I just may not get it up for, you know, whatever it is that you are. No, we also like trash. Like sometimes we just like nonsense. Sure. Stupid funny shit. We talked about this before. The crap that we have on our walls. It oh, is yeah. it is our art. Do you all have a painting, a faux painting of Bill Murray on your wall? Probably not. A Bill Murray dressed as a Russian czar painting? Uh, no, of course in not. In military regalia. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Or a uh, cookie monster in a kimono? No? You don't have that. You don't have that, but I do, and it makes me happy every time I look at it. Why? Because art is subjective, my friends. All right, uh, moving on. We have not discussed yet Lorraine. We must talk about Lorraine because... I love Lorraine. I want Lorraine to be my mother. I want to hug Lorraine. Betsy, Lorraine. I want to squeeze her. Lorraine literally, literally reminds me of my own mother. Yeah, she's just this very sweet, loving woman who has been a part of their lives forever. And, you know, like when she gets married, she's like, so I'm getting married. And they're like, what? Like, it's so, I love. so sweet. I love when movies depict love at older ages like it happens people sometimes don't ever get married until they're like in their 50s or 60s and this woman is probably just like married to this job and she loves these people in this family and after you know her employer died he killed himself i'm sure that the wife needed a lot more looking after and she couldn't run that house by herself and they were talking about uh the the brother says oh you're gonna fire lorraine right like, no, how could, how could you even think about that? Lorraine is family. Yeah. Everybody keeps saying Lorraine is family. And then when they have the wedding scene and Maynard, her her new husband, he's he says, you know, it's easier to deal with other people's family. I, I hate to break it to you. In about 20 minutes, yeah. uh, they're going to be your family, too. <laughs> I love that scene so much because, you know, Monk is, is there dressing down his brother like he is his own father. The, and... That came through very clearly there. But this other couple, they understand Cliff. They saw him grow up. They know who he is. They know who he is, and they know that he is going through some shit. And the fact that they, they, they basically interrupt this entire thing to say, no, you're staying. You're going to come to this wedding because we want you here, your family. I don't care that you're going through some shit. We're going to have a grand old time together. Yeah, that and guy, you can deal with that later. That guy who's half naked in the kitchen is going to make omelets for everybody. Right? <laughs> I love that so much. They just accept. And it's so beautiful that they're like, I know every single one of you since you were kids. And I might right. not be your mom, but I know who you are and what you've been through. And I've been here right alongside of you, even if you don't see me all the time. Right. And I'm going to support you and love you and take care of you. And she asks him to walk her down the aisle. And I'm like, oh, Lorraine. Betsy, the, uh, the, I, I cried. I cried. I was really fucking close. I don't <laughs> think I was quite there, but I definitely was getting emotional when she asked him to walk her down the aisle and he says it would be my honor it's like yes i was smiling so big throughout all of her scenes after she announced that she's gonna get married every time she's on the screen every time because she's just she's very mild-mannered she doesn't she she doesn't want anybody to fuss over her and it's also (laughs) the thing the greatest it's also the thing of she's always been relegated to the background and this is something special for her Right. Yeah. I don't want you guys to fuss over me. It's just fine. Just yeah. have the family over and that's fine. And then at the wedding, she's all dolled up and he's in his military uniform. And I'm like, this is the sweetest moment <laughs> I've ever seen. It's so nice. <laughs> yeah. It made me smile so big. It's just a beautiful little flourish on the rest of the movie. So like I'm saying, he has so much here he could draw from that he could write a real book about himself. Yeah. If he could just find the courage to be honest about it. And in his mind, everything has to be that much more important and intellectual and whatever the fuck else. But dude, no one wants to hear about that. They want to hear about real stories, real families, and you creating this fictional thing just proves that. Yeah. 
they think it's real, which yeah. is why they love it, because they think this guy has real problems and, you know, shot his own father and he's wanted by the police and by the FBI. That's more interesting to them. Why do you think people are so interested in shit like true crime? You know, true crime unto itself is a massive successful genre. Which is why I thought the last movie we covered, Anatomy of a Fault, was going to be a true crime thing. Because yeah. it is so popular. And it kind of was, but it also completely it was, wasn't. It t- totally wasn't. Yeah. All right, Trent. Well, do you have anything else you still want to talk about before we start wrapping up here? You know, surprisingly, I think I've covered everything that I wanted to talk about. Um, I would say this is maybe my most surprising of the nine movies we've watched so far. That, wow, I, I, I'm blown away by... The fact that this number one got through and number two is getting recognized as much as it is. I appreciate when we're surprised. There's usually one where I'm like, I don't know what this is and I have no expectations for it. And those are usually historically my favorite ones. This movie, we talked about it in our our thing we did on Patreon, patreon.com slash never seen a pod. We said that this movie came out in December of last year. It came out right at the end of the year. And sometimes those movies just kind of get forgotten about or they don't even get noticed at all. We, we talked about the fact that The Color Purple was kind of, you know, made to be an Oscar bait kind of a movie and it got basically nothing. Doesn't take away from the quality of the movie, but right. like the rollout of some of these has been... Not great. As we touched on at the beginning, this one's been hard to get. Like, it right. took a long time to... And it's ba- mainly because it came out in December. Yeah. And it takes forever for movies to get to our area. It, when they say, was your city selected? No. My city is never selected. Coming to select cities <laughs> is yours? No. And then sometimes... It never is. Sometimes they say, it's now playing everywhere. Well, guess what? We don't live everywhere. <laughs> I guess not. We're not a part of that uh, that coalition. No. So I'm finally happy to say we were able to see this movie. And we've got one more left. But before we get to that, uh, let's talk about the Academy Awards. Oscars. This movie was nominated for five Academy Awards. So this is up for Best Achievement in Music, written for motion pictures, so original score, Best Motion Picture of the Year, Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role, Actor in a Supporting Role, and Adapted Screenplay. So I sometimes take for granted the fact that someone like Jeffrey Wright has been in this business for like 30 years. He was making movies in the early to mid-90s. Yes, he was. And it's not until... What, the last, like, five years? I think the first thing I saw him in was Casino Royale, where I was like, okay, okay, I recognize this person from this movie henceforth. And then, you know, he showed up in Westworld and... Hunger Games. Hunger Games, and he's been in all these things. So I love that he has finally gotten to that age in his career, the Mm -hmm. point in his career where he gets to make a movie like this. And he can star in it. Because he hasn't, I don't think, starred in anything that we have seen not in anything we have seen he is always a supporting character and that sucks and part of that is just not having the material so this is another reason like like i'll i'll turn on the voices of all the white people in this movie it's an essential movie <laughs> and it's important to ha- tell these stories for people like jeffrey wright to be able to start them but Be- also it's Betsy, true. I'm going to applaud. I'm going to applaud the, the words that you were saying about this movie. <laughs> but you also understand it is true. Like that is a prevalent problem in Hollywood. They do not make enough movies for middle-aged guys who are also black, who are also perceived as intellectuals. They're just dudes. They're just dudes. Like the fact that Jeffrey Wright is struggling in this movie to pretend to be like ghetto right. and tough and thug. It's also because... He doesn't strike me as that kind of guy as a real human being. He always plays the brainy dudes, the scientists. Mm -hmm. Like when you look at him, artists, you know, he played um, Basquiat in the 90s. He played an artist. I think I'm saying that right. I'm not even sure. But that's my point. He doesn't play tough guys. No, and even in this movie, when he goes in to meet Adam Brody, he has to remember, oh, I have to take my glasses off because if I wear glasses, that makes me not. I'm an intellectual. (laughs) Yeah. And that's who Jeffrey Wright, I think, is. But again, I don't even know that much about him as a person. I was thinking about that while we were watching it. Man, I really like Jeffrey Wright, but I know nothing about him. And I might be making tons of assumptions just based on his body of work. 
you yeah, know? Totally. But I'm happy he's here and that we get to have this discussion about mm-hmm. him because I do think he is a really good actor. And he absolutely deserves to be nominated yes, for he Best does. Actor. 100%. Uh, and then, of course, for supporting actor Sterling K. Brown, I think that one was kind of a surprise for people. Yes. I'm on the fence with this one. I think, you know... The one that I really wanted to get in was Dominic Sessa. Sure. But I also understand that in this movie, Sterling K. Brown is very, very good. He can be here. I'm not too upset about it. I don't think he's doing a ton. I was kind of waiting for a big dramatic scene. Like, yeah. I thought there was going to be one standout moment where I'm just like, shit, okay, I or get it. he's, like, going to have a breakdown moment Something. where he, he realizes, oh, I'm I'm embarrassing my family. Or I've been going through a lot of stuff here and I need help. Or I, no. don't, I don't give a fuck or, what you think. Right, like... Like this is not about him. This is not his story. He is he is an accessory to what is happening in Monk's life, and he is also, you know, he's there as a voice of Monk's past, much like his sister was. But hey, his sister is dead. Right. So he's good in it. I I don't really have much more to say any, about it. I don't have a problem, have a problem with, 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 with him it. getting nominated. He was good. Yeah. The one that I'm kind of surprised about is the score, actually. I don't think I had realized until today this got nominated for score because when it's not a movie you've watched when the nominations come out, that's kind of a secondary thought. I'm looking at Best Picture. Um, but I liked it. Like, it's very yeah. jazzy and subtle. Well, speaking of that same scene where he go- he's going to see Adam Brody, like, there's some kind of music in the background as he's approaching the table. And I can't really describe it, but you pointed it out saying, hey, oh, by the way, this also got nominated for best score. Like, really? But okay, whatever. I think it's jazzy and it's cool and that's enough. Like, I don't think it's going to win. This is No, it's not going to win. The one that I think people are saying maybe this is going to win this particular award is best adapted screenplay. Oh, yeah. Because as we've talked about many times, sometimes in recent memory, when there is a movie that's just going to win one, this tends to be it, either original screenplay Mm -hmm. or adapted screenplay. It's the ones that are kind of complicated or very talky. Yeah. Like Women Talking won last year. That was a very much a talky kind of a movie. Yeah, and it was well adapted. Totally. Like, that's the kind of story. It's like fucking bunch of ladies sitting in the same room for a day right. and a half. Like, how, bunch of how bitches is that? talking to each other for two hours. <laughs> how is that interesting? But they found a way to make it interesting. Yeah. And this, there's, as we have been saying, lots of thematic elements. There's sort of fake-out endings. There's many dynamics happening and it keeps kind of upping the ante as the movie goes along. So Mm -hmm. I would say best bet. It's going to be that at the time, at the time we're recording this, the BAFTAs are happening like it just finished or they were happening earlier today Mm -hmm. and it won. That's the award it won over, over in that award category. So we'll see. That might be enough to say it's locked in. It might not. Time will tell. Betsy, I'm afraid to say this in your presence but I feel like Barbie isn't going to win anything. I'm kind of inclined to agree with you, except for song. Yeah. It's going to win song. I think it's going to win song. I think that's probably it, though. Nothing else. Because, you know, the BAFTAs didn't have a best song category. No. no not, none of these other ones have it either. But, yeah. 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 The Oscars are very weird. And that's why, you know, this movie talking about we shouldn't give awards and put people at art against art. And there's a lot of valid points to that. And don't think that these movies are the only movies that matter because frankly, so many movies never get nominated for Oscars that are some of the best we've ever seen. And we don't understand that. That's why we have a show on our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash never seen it pod. And you can listen to the Never Seen It Movie Club. Yeah, those are the movies that we appreciate. Sometimes they're going to fall under the Oscar category, but most of the time, it's just stuff we really like. Indeed. But that is going to do it for American fiction. As we said, we have one more movie to go. At long last, we'll be covering Zone of Interest next the week. Zone of Interest. The Zone of Interest. I keep forgetting the the. I, the, the. I have to keep reminding myself. But we would love to hear your thoughts about American fiction, about 
all of these movies that we are doing for Best Picture, you can send us email at neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can also send us messages on any of our social media platforms. Uh, we got such a message the other day from Blake about Anatomy of a Fall. He messages saying, I was never interested in the idea of if she killed her husband or not. So I'm happy that the movie didn't have interest in that either. It's not what you think it's, it's about. It's really not. I really loved how the movie basically looked at how our lives can be completely deconstructed in front of the world and how everything we do will be scrutinized going forward and how one's opinion or view of a subject will also dictate how they view that person going forward. Also, I feel like the movie was telling me that we never truly know anyone except ourselves. I'm not here to say that every couple keeps things from their partner, but I guess maybe I am because that's <laughs> what I believe. Yeah. Even though, say, I love my wife and I tell her a lot of shit that's in my head, there's still stuff in there or experiences that I haven't shared with her. And I don't mean that in a I'm keeping dark secrets from her <laughs> type of way, but just that there's stuff I've never told her about. But what I took from the movie is that we truly only know and trust ourselves in the end. Thank you, Blake. Uh, yeah, I don't say everything that's on my mind to Betsy. Even no. though we have a podcast where we say everything that we're thinking about what we just watched, when we turn the microphones off, we usually go our separate ways. <laughs> my my response uh, to him was, if we told our partner every intrusive thought we had, no one would ever stay together. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> uh, but we did also get an email about this from our super fan, Stephanie. So she's been cranking through all of the Oscar movies. So there's going to yeah. be a lot of these in the coming days, folks. We've got a lot more emails from her kind of banked up here, but we're going to save those for later. <laughs> So her email on Anatomy of a Fall. I watched this on Thursday. I really liked it. I thought it was super good and very much right up my alley. The dialogue is phenomenal. And damn, that argument scene is fantastic. Yeah. The acting is very good. Sandra Huller deserves her nomination. The kid who played Daniel is awesome. I am super interested in the French judicial system now. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? If we've seen Anatomy of a Fall, we all want to learn how the hell that works. She continues, so cool. However, there's no way that kid would have been allowed to stay with his mom during the trial in America, you especially think? if he takes the stand. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's the thing about that movie is it's so European that as an American, yeah. it's like, what am I missing? Because there might be stuff that you just don't catch because yeah. you're not in it. And I think I might have, or both of us were maybe a little bit distracted by that portion of it, which really doesn't matter. But we're trying to see this through a lens of an American of a French judicial system that we're not familiar with. So we're we're kind of analyzing that at the same time. Yeah, we're going, well, that just wouldn't fly in America. Right. <laughs> Uh, she continues, I like that the ending is ambiguous, but I'm still frustrated by it. I don't think she killed her husband, but I do not know what happened. Is she a crappy partner? Yes. Was she cold and dismissive during their fight? Yes. Did something violent happen during that fight? Yes, but we don't actually know what it is, and it doesn't actually prove that she killed her husband. Yeah, all of those other things can be true, and she didn't kill her husband. That's what makes it an interesting movie. Mm hmm and she finishes, I was able to also watch American Fiction this week and loved it. So I, I guess we're going to have that to look forward to we as well. We await your email about American Fiction. Yeah, I think that's the best thing about Anatomy of a Fall is it's open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. Some and, of it is anyway. And I think the experience Blake had watching it was different than the experience Stephanie had watching it, which was different than what you had and different than what I had. And that's what makes it fascinating. And that's, that's what makes it a good conversation. That's kind of the same thing with this movie where it is very open to a lot of things. It's just how you, the individual, perceive it. Are you a really white person who doesn't get the joke here? Or, I mean, I'm a very white person, but I get everything. Or, or are you in on the joke? Because if you're not in on the joke, you might not get this movie. Yeah. I know a lot of people that would be like, I don't, I don't understand why this is funny. Or this is really no. funny, but they don't know they don't know layered. why it's funny. They don't know why it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you to Blake and Stephanie for submitting those messages yeah, about thanks. that last movie. As we said, we would love to hear your thoughts about any and all of these Oscar movies or any of the movies that we have covered. That email again, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere you want to follow us, send us a message on there. Obviously, we get those. 
You can also rate the show five stars, review the show, anything like that to uh, help support us and get us in front of more listeners. But if you would really like to support us, go to patreon.com slash never seen a pod where we have four brand new shows that we are putting out once a week over there, along with some other bonus content that we just kind of throw up every so often. Yes. Patreon.com slash never seen a pod. $5 a month gets you all of those shows. But that, once again, is going to be that, as they say. Until next week when we cover The Zone of Interest, our final Best Picture nominee. We will have made it, Trent. Not there yet, but we're almost there. Yes, one more movie left to go, and then it is going to be our fourth annual Oscar special coming out on Oscar Sunday. Yes, on March 10th, the day of the Oscars, you can look forward to where we recap all 10 of these movies Get into a little bit more of each category. Maybe make some predictions. And we're going to rank them. Oh, God. <laughs> Betsy hates that. My least favorite thing all year, especially this year, because I'm not going to lie. This oh, yeah. is going to be hard. So far, no stinkers in the bunch. Every time we add a new one, it gets more complicated because I'm like, but I want all of you to be number one. <laughs> and you can't be. So look forward to that. But first, the zone of interest. That'll be next Sunday. Until then, this has been Never Seen It. We thank you for listening. My name is Betsy. My name's Trent. And we will see you next week. See ya. See ya.